This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. Well, I hope that you are ready to study God's Word with us uh, together this morning. And so if you are, turn to the book of John, chapter 8. And as you're turning to the book of John, chapter 8, I would point your attention to the description of today's live stream. Um, there is a document there that you can click on, and a, a link where you can click and download a document, which is our listening guide for today, and that will allow you to follow along with me as I uh, teach the scriptures this morning, and then we'll all end up in the same place prayerfully by the end of our time together today. And so as you're turning to John chapter 8, I want you to picture this. It was a beautiful, mild morning in Jerusalem. The crowds have been increasingly enamored by Jesus' authoritative teachings and his supernatural works. And so when Jesus rose early to go down to the temple courts to once again teach, a crowd quickly gathered to listen intently to today's sermon. But in the silence of the morning, behind the voice of Jesus, you hear a lot of familiar sounds. You hear the sound of store owners unlocking uh, their gates or, or opening their doors or windows. You hear the sound of brooms sweeping the floors of the courtyard. You might even hear this, the sound of children laughing and giggling as they're playing um, in the background. And all of this you've learned to tune out because for you, this is just simply background white noise of any other day in downtown Jerusalem. But then your attention is aroused and you get that sinking feeling in your heart when you're startled by the unexpected because in the distance, you hear the screams of a woman and you hear the sound of angry men shouting something like, come on woman, we don't have all day. You immediately know that something's not right. Someone is in trouble. And as the struggle gets closer and closer, you can no longer ignore it because you know that the, the quiet, teachable moment in which you find yourself is about to be disrupted. And all of that comes to the forefront when thrown into the middle of the crowd at the feet of Jesus in front of all of these listeners and watchers is a half-naked, disheveled woman who is in tears and wondering what's about to be the next steps for her future. What happens when the mercy of Jesus is met by an adulterous woman, a band of corrupt religious leaders, and a watching crowd? And what in the world does that have to do with you today? Well, that's what today's text is going to illuminate to us. So I want to read this morning, John chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 2 through 11. And so you follow along with me as I read this account out loud. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. This is Jesus. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. 
So what do you say? And this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This morning, what I want you to see is what happens when you mix together Jesus, an adulterous woman, a kangaroo court, a watching crowd, And then what in the world does that have to do with you and me today? We're gonna see a lot of different truths in this short episode. But I want, as we make our way through the text today, I want you to allow the scriptures to speak to your heart. I want you to allow the scriptures to expose you. I want you to put yourself in this episode and so that you can hear these sounds and feel these emotions and allow the scriptures to teach you today, even 2000 years after the fact. Now here's the first truth that I believe this episode will teach you and me if we will listen. And it's simply this, every one of us is far more guilty than we care to admit. If I were to ask you this morning, who is guilty and deserves punishment from God? To whom would you point? Who comes to your mind? Well, you may think societally. So societally, you might say, well, the pedophile does or the prostitute, maybe the murderer, the drug dealer, the gang member, or even the corporate white collar embezzler. But then we think personally about the people in our own orbits. Personally, you might single out the man who hurt you, the woman who betrayed you, the parents who abandoned you, the boss who fired you, or even the neighbor who might vote differently than you. The truth is, all of us have an idea about who is guilty deserving punishment from God. But I would submit to you today that at first response, there are very few of us who would look inside of ourselves and confess that we too have broken God's law. But don't miss this truth this morning. And this passage teaches us this, that every single one of us living on planet earth today is far more guilty than we would care to admit. And this morning's text shows human guilt to us in at least two ways. Sometimes, one, our guilt is open. Our guilt is open for the world to see. Verse four says that like this, that verse four tells us that this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. And there are times when our sin, when our guilt is very public and we're caught in the very act or, or our lives just tell the story. You see, for this woman, this wasn't hearsay. There was no need for a trial. She was caught in the very act. She was dragged out of bed publicly paraded through the streets, either naked or half naked and thrown into the middle of the temple courts as Jesus taught the crowds. 
Can you imagine the embarrassment, the shame and the fear that she must have felt? Like Fontaine from Victor Hugo's Les Miserables, this woman could have sung, I dreamed a dream. I dreamed a dream in time gone by when hope was high and life worth living. But the tigers come at night with their voices soft as thunder as they tear your hope apart as they turn your dream to shame. I had a dream my life would be so different, so different from this hell I'm living, so different now than what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. You see, for this woman, her sin and guilt were very public. It was open for all the world to know and for all the world to see. She was so openly guilty that Jesus didn't even refute that fact through this episode. And sometimes your sinful guilt is open for the world to see. The words that you speak, the life that you live, the hurt that you inflict, it's indisputable, it's open, it's public. But other times our guilt is hidden. Other times it's hidden. So see, sometimes our guilt is open like the adulterous woman, but then other times it's hidden like these religious leaders. The the scriptures tell us here that it was a group of scribes and Pharisees. Now these were not the same people. The scribes were experts in the Old Testament law. They were actually referred to as lawyers also. You see, they studied God's law. They taught it. They knew it inside and out. Now, the Pharisees, on the other hand, they were more like a party because during the intertestamental period, there was a strong movement among God's people to disobey God's law. So there arose a party of men and a movement uh, uh, to, to, to form a party of purists. We might call them uh, uh, Old Testament and New Testament Puritans. And they wanted to strictly adhere as closely as possible to the Mosaic law. And so they would be called the Pharisees or the separated ones. Now, the problem with the scribes is that they knew God's law forwards and backwards, but oftentimes missed what was most important. The problem with the Pharisees was that they conformed their external lives to as many of God's rules and commandments as possible but they lacked an internal heart that was devoted to God himself. So here, in this account, this group of scribes and Pharisees, they pretend to care about God's law. They pretend to care about honoring God. So they self-righteously parade this woman before Jesus in order to right the wrongs of her sexual deviance. And they proudly quote the Bible all the while doing it. But don't miss the fact that the text tells us in verse six that they were ultimately doing this to test Jesus, that they might have some charge to bring against him. You see, they had ulterior motives. And what this passage teaches us is that it's entirely possible. No, not just possible, it's entirely likely that while you and I condemn someone else over their obvious guilt, that we ignore or even disregard the hidden guilt 
that resides deep within our own hearts. The emotions, the jealousy, the anger, the idolatry, the covetousness, the lust, the fantasies, all of these are hidden to the world, but they are public before God and they leave you just as guilty before God as the open ones do. You see in our text this morning, the scribes and Pharisees were just as guilty as the adulterous woman was, but they couldn't see it. Well, at least not yet. My question to you today would simply be this. Do you see it? Do you see your own guilt before God this morning? Because you see, sometimes your guilt is very open and public. At other times, it's very hidden and private. But here's the truth this morning. Each of us, though, is very guilty. Each of us is guilty. And you may say, but, but pastor, my, my life doesn't look like the pedophile. My life doesn't look like the prostitute. My life doesn't look like those on Wall Street and their corporate greed. Perhaps not. But James chapter two, verse 10 says this, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. And Romans chapter three, verse 23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So as we consider what God would teach us through this episode this morning, know that every one of us is far more guilty before God than we care to admit. And that's bad news but we're gonna keep going here. And the reality is the news doesn't get much better in our next truth. Here's the next truth. Jesus's justice is far fairer than we can humanly handle. Jesus's justice is far fairer than we can humanly handle. Now the religious leaders may have devised a devious plan to bring Jesus down. But humanly speaking, it most assuredly put Jesus in a tight bind. You see, on the one hand, there's the spiritual tightrope that Jesus would have to walk. Because if Jesus just overlooked this woman's adultery, then he becomes guilty himself of not upholding the law of God. For Deuteronomy chapter 22 strictly condemned adultery and prescribed stoning as the punishment for it. But then on the other hand, there's the civil tightrope to walk. Because Israel was under Roman occupation in the first century. And any case of the death penalty must be tried and carried out by the Roman judicial system. So if Jesus agrees with these corrupt religious leaders and affirms the woman's guilt and orders her to be stoned, then these leaders now can report Jesus to the Roman authorities for subverting the law of Rome. So Jesus is in a little bit of a quandary here. But look at his response in verse seven. As they continue to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Jesus chooses not to play by their rules. Jesus doesn't accept their premise What Jesus does, what he does so often is he upends the conversation and he up, he turns their sense of right and wrong upside down and points them to something altogether different while at the same time exposing the sin and hypocrisy of their own hearts. 
Essentially, here's what Jesus says. Okay, fine. She's guilty. The law says to stone her. But don't overlook the fact that the law also says that if you accuse someone of a capital offense, you have to be on hand to throw the first stone at her. So if any of you guys, if any of you astute, polished religious leaders are completely innocent yourself, go ahead, come forward, throw the first stone at her. And what Jesus highlights here is the complete fair equity in God's courtroom. You're right, Jesus says, she's guilty and she deserves condemnation. She deserves death for her sin. But so are you guilty. And so what you have done also is deserving of condemnation and death. So what right do you have to condemn her when you yourself also should be condemned. Jesus exposed their hearts for what they were, hypocrites. You see, rather than being judges worthy to inflict condemnation, these religious leaders were sinners also guilty to receive condemnation themselves. And their response said it all in verse nine. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Can't you just hear the thud and the thud and the thud with the dropped stones? Do you remember when you were a kid and your sibling or your cousin really got in trouble? And after your mom or dad called out your brother or your sister for what they did, you snickered and just outright laughed at them. Do you remember an instance like that? And do you remember your parents then turning to you and saying something like, what are you laughing at? You're next. And with reddened face and shoulders dropped, you walk away in shame. Well, that might not completely encapsulate the Pharisees' response here, but it gets us close. Jesus showed the Pharisees that the condemnation they were so quick to inflict, they too deserved. My friend, this morning, I want you to know that Jesus's justice is still fair today. I want you to know that there is still great equity in God's courtroom. I want you to know that there is great equality at the foot of the cross of Jesus. You see, in God's courtroom, regardless of our socioeconomics, regardless of our educational levels, regardless of how polished our lives, our external lives may be, there is great equity and equality at the foot of the cross in God's courtroom. And if you will pause and reflect this morning, there is a truth here that will change your entire approach to even those who wrong you or towards those whom you might be tempted to think that you're better than. And here it is. The guilt that you so quickly see in others also deeply resides inside of you. And the condemnation that you so want to see fall on others is also directed towards you. Jesus's justice is fair. None of us 
is as good as we think we are. All of us, each of us, is far more guilty than we care to admit. And the Pharisees' response actually demonstrates that this fairness in God's justice, it's far more than we can humanly handle. Because just like they, we hang our head in shame and we walk away. Now, if we just stay there, that's a lot of bad news for one Sunday morning, right? That, that you and I are far more guilty than we care to admit and that in God's courtroom, that in God's justice, there is far more uh, fairness and equity than we can humanly handle. If we just sit there, that's bad news and that's heavy. As a matter of fact, if you're even sensing a little bit of palpable guilt or a little bit of palpable hopelessness right there, then that means that the gospel of Jesus Christ is doing its work inside of your heart. There should be that tension right now, but there's good news in Jesus's gospel. Jesus's gospel is not a bad news gospel. Jesus's gospel is understand the bad news so that I can give you the good news so that I can bring relief to your heart. So here's the good news. Yes, every one of us is far more guilty than we care to admit. And yes, Jesus's justice is far fairer than we can humanly handle. But here's the good news in this text. Jesus's mercy is far more costly than we usually think. Jesus' mercy is far more costly than we usually think. Now, the person we haven't heard from at all through this ordeal is this accused woman. Now, put yourself in her shoes. She has stood by the wayside observing this exchange between Jesus and these religious leaders who are also her accusers. Can you imagine what's going through her mind? I mean, Wow. If this Jesus deals with the religious elite this way, how in the world is he gonna deal with me, a sexual sinner? But look at the tender, compassionate, unexpected approach of Jesus in verse 10. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, just stop there for a moment. I, I'm always staggered by this because Jesus does this in multiple places in the gospels. Here is a woman who is most definitely guilty of a heinous sexual sin. And Jesus doesn't look at her and call her whore. He doesn't look at her and call her the blight of society or old hag. He looks at her and calls her woman. He calls her a term of respect. He calls her a term of endearment. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. R.C. Sproul points out a significant truth in understanding the mercy of Jesus in this episode. And it's far deeper and far more costly than you or I usually think. He says, notice that Jesus did not hedge between the Jewish law and the Roman law. He sided with Moses. He gave his verdict. The woman was guilty and should be stoned. 
But he then examined the executioners and found them lacking. Only he, only Jesus met the qualifications that he himself had given for carrying out the execution. You see, this morning, it's important for us to know this. Only Jesus is the perfect scribe. He's the ultimate expert in God's law. Only Jesus is the perfect Pharisee, the one who perfectly lives out all of God's commandments and with the internal pure heart from which they derive. Only Jesus is the perfect witness. Only Jesus is the one who can judge the wrongs of others without any internal sin and wrong in himself. You see, Jesus' mercy is far more costly than we usually think. You see, sometimes I think we view the mercy of Jesus this way. We, we view Jesus like a big blue mercy genie that we found in a golden lamp at the bottom of a cave of wonders. And upon asking, we wrongly think that Jesus just doles out mercy for the asking. It's just what he's supposed to do. He's one giant blue mercy dispenser. But I want you to know this morning that Jesus's mercy is not dispensed without a cost. Don't miss the wording here. Has no one condemned you? Neither do I condemn you. This language should take us back to John chapter three. In John chapter three, where we read what is arguably the most famous verse in all the Bible. For God so loved the world, verse 16 tells us, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We know that verse, we've heard that verse, but do we know the verses right after that verse? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Jesus looks at this woman and says, there's no one here to condemn you and neither do I condemn you. Jesus' purpose for coming to earth was not to condemn sinners like this woman or like you or like me. Jesus came to befriend sinners like us. Jesus came not to condemn you, but to save you. And the way he saves you is by bearing the condemnation that you deserve. You see, Jesus could tell this adulterous woman that he doesn't condemn her because he knew that in just a little short time, he would be condemned for her. He would pay the price to buy her pardon. The reality today is this, my friend. There are only two people who can be condemned for your guilt. Only two people either Jesus or you. And because Jesus has already been condemned for your guilt, there is no reason at all why you should be. But Jesus's mercy doesn't apply to you simply by proxy. It has to be activated. You see, Jesus's life, death, and resurrection 
are the keys to eternal life. They're the keys to your salvation, but faith unlocks the door. So I wanna ask you this morning a very deeply personal question. Have you experienced Jesus's mercy in your life? Have you repented of your sin? Have you believed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on your behalf? If you have, I want to encourage you this morning to just simply bask in the mercy of Jesus. It might be a good moment to just pause for a moment while hearing this and just be reminded, thank you, Jesus, for your mercy, that though I am far more guilty and I was far more guilty than I ever would care to admit, and your justice is so fair, there's so much equity in your courtroom, thanks be to God for your inexpressible gift that through faith and repentance, your mercy was more than my sin. It might be good just to pause for a moment if you're in Christ and just say, thank you, Jesus, for your mercy towards me. If you haven't turned to Jesus, if you've never experienced the mercy of Jesus, let me ask you this question today. What's stopping you from pausing? What's stopping you this morning from praying to God, confessing your guilt, believing the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that was all accomplished on your behalf? You see, this morning, Jesus' mercy is very costly. It cost him his life. Jesus went to great lengths to offer mercy to people like you who are guilty. Only two people can be condemned for your guilt, either Jesus or you. But because Jesus has already been condemned for you, there's no reason why you should be except through your continued unbelief. So I want to appeal to you this morning, like this woman, like this guilt-ridden, shame-experienced woman in this text, turn to Jesus, call him Lord, and receive his mercy. So Jesus' mercy is far more costly than we usually think. I want you to see one last truth here because I want us to understand a vocab lesson this morning. So we've seen the mercy of Jesus. Let's look at the grace of Jesus. So Jesus's mercy is far more costly than we usually think. And Jesus's grace is far more lavish than we dare to imagine. Now here's the basic difference between mercy and grace. Through Jesus's mercy, we do not get what we do deserve. Like this woman, we do deserve condemnation for our guilt. We do deserve punishment for our sin. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ, because he takes that, he takes our place, we do not get what we do deserve. That's mercy, refraining from giving us what we do deserve. But then grace, Jesus lavishes upon us 
what we do not deserve. He gives us blessings, his grace, his provision, spiritual empowerment, life change. We don't deserve any of these things in our sin, but Jesus lavishly gives them through his undeserved grace. And so it's not just that we do not get what we do deserve, we do get what we don't deserve. And it's the beautiful, it's the beautiful dichotomy of the gospel. So let's see Jesus's grace on display here with this woman. He says, neither do I condemn you, but he doesn't stop there. You see, it'd be very tempting to just say, see, that's Jesus. Jesus never condemns. Jesus never judges. We just do whatever we want. And Jesus loves us anyway. No, he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. What I wanna do this morning is I wanna just briefly show you three aspects of Jesus's grace in a believer's life. Now, I want you to understand that these are promises for the believer. So these are, these are promises for you if you have turned to Christ and you have received his gospel. And if you haven't turned to Christ and received his gospel, these are the promises that are promised to you if you do turn to him and receive his gospel. So here's three things I want you to see about Jesus' lavish grace towards you. Number one, his grace saves you. His grace saves us. I believe there's good reason to believe that Jesus saved this woman. When the woman looks to him and says, no one Lord. Now that word Lord can mean a couple of different things. It could just be a term of respect at the basis level that she's just basically calling him sir. That's one interpretation. There's another interpretation that that word Lord here could be in, in, in the sense of God, that she's recognizing Jesus in his deity. And you gotta believe that in the experience of this woman that day and looking at the, the forgiveness and the lavish grace that was given towards her, that this woman turned towards Jesus in faith because Jesus says that he does not condemn her. And we've already read in John chapter three that those who believe will not be condemned. So I believe we're on safe grounds of assuming, inferring from the text that this woman believed in Jesus and Jesus saved her. And that's the same thing for you and for me. When we turn to Jesus, Jesus saves us from our sins. But two, his grace also sanctifies us. Jesus says, go now and don't sin, don't, don't keep doing this. That's the gospel. When Jesus saves our lives, he also will begin to change our lives. And so what that means is our lives are gonna start look, looking differently. They're gonna be things that we used to say that over time we just stop saying. They're gonna be things that we used to do that we just stop doing there are gonna be things that we used to not care about that now all of a sudden we do care about them. And so Jesus not only by his grace saves us, but he also sanctifies us. But I also don't want us to miss this if we're a believer today. His grace saves us, his grace sanctifies us. His grace also sustains us. Yes, Jesus' grace changes us in our lives where we don't do certain things and we don't say certain things but if we've been a Christian for any length of time, we know that we do still fall. And the reality is we're not perfect. And the reality is there are gonna be times when we long for things that we used to long for that we shouldn't. There are gonna be times when we do things that we shouldn't. There are gonna be things that we think things or even dream about things that are very contrary to the word of God. And that's still the reality of the Christian's life and there's tension there. 
But there's great hope for the Christ follower. Same grace that saved you, the same grace that changed you is the same grace that's going to sustain you and keep you when you do fall. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Some of the most hope-filled verses in the New Testament tells us this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death that is in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ today, you have no fear of ever being condemned for the sin of your past, for the sin of your present, or for the sin of your future. His grace, his mercy covers it all. And so Christian today, if you are beleaguered by a besetting sin and you're discouraged by that, that thing that just keeps rearing its ugly head and bringing you down, I know it's discouraging. I know it's disappointing and I know you want better. And there's hope in the gospel for change and it'll come eventually by God's grace. But you never have to fear being condemned for a sin that Jesus has already been condemned for. That is great hope for us this morning as we read this text. So what I want you to know today, as you read the example of this woman and you see the grace and mercy of Jesus on full display in this very guilty, very adulterous, sinful woman. If you're in Christ, be encouraged that there is nothing you can do today or ever again, that would separate you from the love of God because your sin has already been condemned. If you're not in Christ today, I want you to know that there is great grace and there is great mercy to be found at the foot of the cross. And so why not let today be the day of salvation? Father, I wanna pray for every man, woman, and child watching this podcast, watching this live stream today. Father, would you draw them by the power of your spirit to the cross? Would you turn their minds and their hearts away from their guilt, away from their shame, away from their sin? And would you cause their gaze to fall on the cross of Calvary and see your son Jesus there? And may they see the great cost that your mercy required. And Father, I pray that you would grant the gift of faith to their hearts, that you would cause repentance to rise up in their souls. And I pray today that today would be the, the day of salvation for many watching and listening to this today. For those of us who are in Christ, my Father, I pray today that we would walk in victory and confidence, knowing that because Jesus was condemned in our place, we never have to fear condemnation again for sins that you've already paid for. And today, as we pray and as we remember, and now that as we sing, Father, I pray that we would just be able to proclaim, yes, our sins, they are many, but Jesus, your mercy, your mercy is more. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.